Hey everyone, it's Gabby and Danny and Manny and you're listening to Oye, Let's Talk. Hey everyone, we're talking about a topic that we all know about, but we could always learn a little bit more. I know we have that COVID fatigue. I understand that now with a vaccine, it seems like the pandemic is on the brink of an end, but unfortunately with all this coronavirus chaos, there seems to be a lot of misinformation. So we're here to debunk some myths, give you some facts, and go ahead and arm you with information so you can make an educated decision about whether or not you want a shot. The goal is as more people get them, the pandemic can soon subside, but not everyone is that comfortable. So we're going to discuss that today too. This is going to be very U.S.-centric because we're all here in the U.S., but we'll dive into a little bit what the global pandemic and global vaccine rollout looks like. But to start, in the United States, we have this thing called Operation Warp Speed. You may have heard of it. A lot of the press conferences were live if you ever watch the news or the sound bites, even made them on TikTok. But the whole idea of this basically federal group is a task force, which is separate from the COVID-19 overall pandemic task force. Operation Warp Speed was used to help create a vaccine, fund it, and then push it out. So to kind of like take away some of that red tape that goes into production and who's going to be developing it, they picked companies ahead of time or companies submitted proposals. So overall, the companies that have vaccines now are kind of the ones that already won. And for perspective, Operation Warp Speed had a huge budget. The Trump administration spent about $12.4 billion on vaccine production alone. So for some perspective, previous vaccines like polio, when it first came out, would cost about $150 million to $220 million to make. That was for also like some novel cases. But most vaccines are mainly funded by the federal government, and it depends what the emergency looks like to kind of boost that budget. Operation Warp Speed essentially analyzed vaccine candidates, found their development, followed traditional practices, adapted some things, and then also checked out their their clinical trial phases and worked closely with the FDA and the CDC. Beyond that, I think what we really have to get into and what people are kind of concerned about is this whole emergency use authorization thing. Yes, thank you. I actually wanted to really delve into that because there's been a lot of misinformation and speculation on that end. So just like every other vaccine, emergency use authorization vaccines have to go through clinical trials. So I'm going to break it down a little bit. EUA, which is emergency use authorization, their faces are exactly the same as the regular process for a regular vaccine. So phase one, um, the vaccine is given to a small number of generally healthy people to assess its safety and effectiveness. In phase two, the vaccine is given to hundreds of people with different health conditions and from diverse demographic groups. In phase three, the vaccine is administered to thousands of people across demographic groups and immune responses are compared against placebos and are used for testing purposes only. So once phase three trials are complete, the FDA reviews the data to determine whether the vaccine works and is safe. If so, the manufacturer files for approval. So what is different in terms of EUA versus regular? In EUA, they skip a step. So this is where the process changes a little bit because usually the manufacturer would apply to what's called a biologics license application or BLA. If the FDA determines that the vaccine is safe, works, and that manufacturing can be done safely and consistently, it will grant a license for the vaccine. So essentially with um, 
with the emergency authorization use, they skip the to apply for this particular license, but the clinical trials are still a thing. So its most extensive use was in, com- in combating the swine flu pandemic of 2009 by authorizing medical equipment and existing influenza drugs. It was deemed an overall success, and from then on, it became a standard to allow possibly for other emerging diseases and viruses like MERS, Ebola, Zika, and other epidemics that didn't really come to the U.S. Uh, but before then, in 1976, uh, when reports of cases involving a new strain of influenza A, the same family of flu viruses that caused the flu pandemic of 1918, it prompted fears of a possible swine flu pandemic. President Ford at the time pushed for a first ever national vaccination program and a pandemic never ensued because of it. We saw this again in the 80s. Um, Public health experts suggested that an investigational drug called DDI might prove useful for AIDS patients unable to tolerate other medications. So it's worked in the past. This isn't the first time. Um, And I just wanted to debunk that a little bit because I think there's this misconception that, oh, you know, they, they just pushed it out of nowhere. They're speeding the process. And that's not it at all. And just to be fair, what they did is just all the extra super precautionary measures that the FDA may have, they shortened that period, right? So like applying for this license, like if you already know the item works, then it needs to be approved by the FDA. You get a license, you're licensed by the FDA. Emergency use is that the FDA approved it. They're just not licensed. They didn't do that particular step. And just for more perspective, because clinical trials can take so long. Some of them started to overlap towards the end, but these groups still need to turn in trial information to the FDA as they're still doing these trials or as upon completion, which I know for some people can sound very, um, it can make one very hesitant. And a lot of people were concerned about the time, but a lot of clinical Mm -hmm. trials have a certain amount of time. Just think that, okay, phase two, everything went well with the first few weeks of phase one. So in the final two days of phase one, we'll start collecting the people for phase two. They used to have to completely finish it, wait a little bit, and then start the next phase. Instead, they just did no minimal waiting period between the phases. And the only other downside is that obviously we can't see the long-term effects. But again, that could be the case with any new vaccine that's, you know, obviously being developed and it it takes obviously years and years to even see some of those side effects so and it was president trump i don't know if you all remembered but during one of his press conferences he did ask the fda to remove as much red tape as possible to get the vaccine moving upon making operation warp speed so it was our previous president that said some of these minor details don't need to be part of the process when we're trying to beat a virus that was killing now half a million people in the US. The tough thing to remember is that I understand some people are complaining about vaccine rollout in the US and our process and stuff, but there's some places that don't even have a vaccine yet. Okay, guys, I think we're very lucky. A couple of months ago, countries didn't even have a single vaccine. Africa has the slowest vaccination rate of any continent. And this is doses administered per 100 people So in Africa, per 100 people, only one person has gotten it compared to North America, which is number one for every 100 people, 37 people have received it. Um, Obviously, Europe is second continent with 22 doses, Mr. Per 100 people. 
And we have South America at number three with only 13 per 100 people. In order to tackle this problem, because at the end of the day, you know, if one country getting rid of or vaccinating most of its people is not going to stop this world pandemic, it's, it's going to require every country to be able to vaccinate all its populations. And obviously not every country has the resources, the money or the means to produce their own vaccines like the U.S. has. So the World Health Organization created an organization called COVAX to, in order to supply these countries um, vaccines because at the end of the day, it needs to reach everybody. So the cool thing about COVAX is that it's just working for global equitable access to a COVID-19 vaccine, but it won't solve all the problems. It offers doses for at least 20% of a country's population, so about a fifth of its people, and vaccines are delivered as soon as they're available. So a country doesn't know which vaccine they're going to get and when. So that's the only, that's kind of the downside. And that just goes to show that in the U.S., though we have funded production and we have shipments coming out from the federal government just about every week from each vaccine, some countries can get one shipment one month and six months later get a separate shipment of a different vaccine. So it makes kind of planning to vaccinate its communities pretty difficult when you can't plan on when you're even going to have the vaccine to begin with. So it just goes to show that Places under COVAX like Brazil, Argentina, Cuba, Panama, all these people are kind of at the mercy of what these other vaccine companies, what extra they have, because obviously they're kind of more leaning to producing the vaccine for countries that are actually paying them. So what COVAX will do is obviously give out free vaccines, um, depending on the funding that they have. They'll also... what what they what in theory what they'll do is negotiate the prices of vaccines for these poorer countries and up to date some 14 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine have been allocated to 47 countries and economies for the delivery in the second quarter of this year and those countries are include but are not limited to Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, the Philippines, South Africa, and Ukraine. They're among the main recipients of these Pfizer vaccines that are being distributed by COVAX. I think it's interesting, Gabby, when you put things into perspective, because I know, at least on my end, when I talk to like friends or you know family members, everyone's kind of complaining one way or another, or at least at the very beginning of it, we were talking about how like, you know, it's not that organized and blah, 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 but it's so organized, like the United States is so much more organized in comparison to all of these other countries that they don't really have a plan like at all. There's no structure. Like I talked to family members in Mexico and in Argentina, and they're in shock that most of us have already gotten the vaccine. And they're just starting to to say that maybe they'll start administering to like those who are 60 years old and older, um, or those with underlying conditions. But it's just crazy when you put things into perspective. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the US could do better. But this is kind of most national leaders first rodeo, I like to say, like, you can only plan so well for something so unexpected. And this is one of those issues that happens once in a lifetime, my grandmother always tells me I'm 85. And I never lived through anything like this. Wow. Like, well, grandma, this is not something that's supposed to happen every year. So <laughs> um, but we talked about basically how people in the US are getting vaccines and how we have vaccines in the country. We talked about who's not getting it, 
globally. But what about who's hesitant within the U.S.? Who's choosing not to get it? Let's dive into that a little bit. In my research, guys, I found that the a, a chunk of these hesitant people are white rural Americans. Right now, Tennessee, um, in a recent survey they did, they found that more than 45% of white rural conservatives said they were unwilling to even consider taking the vaccine. And that's honestly a little concerning when we're all trying to reach herd immunity, which is something we'll also talk about. So actually as well, like similar numbers to Tennessee, Texas is also one of the states that nearly half of its population says that it doesn't really want the vaccine. And this is according to local media out there. And even if you go on social media and like go through Twitter and such, I asked a few users, they told me not to be named, but they have a text message system to say when vaccines are available. And they, a few women told me that they're always getting texts saying that, come walk up, come just get the vaccine because people aren't signing wow. up for appointments. So the vaccine is there. People just aren't getting it. Then besides rural America, um, we have to look at kind of populations. So sparsely populated states also had higher rates of vaccine hesitancy. This is according to Vox and multiple surveys. So think Wyoming, Mississippi, North Dakota, places where it might be a little bit harder to get a vaccine, but they're not concerned about getting it because they're rural areas as well. Mm. Things to consider is that there are also states that are mostly white. They have less diversity and tend to be red states. They're mostly Republican, though I don't really want to tie health to political views. But just for campaign reasons, that's why they're trying to get a lot of lawmakers and public figures behind the vaccine to help people trust it or feel like they may need it. And so if you see any Republicans really gung-ho about the vaccine in particular states, that's part of the reason. And most of these governors have already come out saying that they're not in support of requiring any type of documentation to prove that you have vaccines. The governor of Florida was one of the first governors to sign an order um, disbanding any type of, quote, vaccine passports. So it'll be interesting to see how some of these states proceed with their vaccine rollouts. So to note to that, too, the Florida governor has been vaccinated. He just doesn't want to require it. But it was a whole dog and pony show when he got the shot in the arm. Apart from white rural America, like, let's talk about our group, the Latinx community, the Latinos. It turns out seven in 10 Hispanics say they won't get the shot or they're waiting until later. That's wild. Yeah, I know. Seven out of 10. And this is according to the Kaiser Family Foundation, which is one of my favorite sources to look into. They update info all the time and they prioritize diversity. It's a nonprofit that studies national health issues. So beyond COVID right now, they're really shining, but they look at stuff like birth control, um, surgeries, like if people have access to them, cancer research, and et cetera. So they're a great source if you feel like you need to find some concrete information. But let's talk about the 7 in 10 Hispanic thing, because I definitely see among my older family members or older Hispanics that I know that they tend to be a little more hesitant. That's what I was actually going to ask you guys, if you think that it's more toward our age group or if it's the older generations but honestly i feel like i see that across the board like uh, and and the reasonings behind it tend to be the same myths you know of the the 5g chip being inserted into the vaccine that the particles have some sort of tracking device um 
all of these things, they keep coming up and I don't understand where they're getting their information from. It seems for the most part, based on the research that I've done and the news reportings that we've done at my station, uh, a lot of Hispanics get their information from WhatsApp messages. Unfortunately, they get um, trending messages of random people either speaking. It's like a, an audio recording and they they say that they're doctors and they say that they're these specialists, but there's no proof behind it. You know what I mean? Like there's no name and face. You do your research and these people don't exist. Um, so not credible. Not credible. They're getting them from Facebook. Also, I think a lot of older generations tend to use more Facebook than us nowadays. And they tend to get news from their actual fake news from Facebook. So that's very worrisome too. I feel like Danny has just taken us to the next part of this episode, and that's talking about why exactly people are hesitant to this. And Danny alluded already to social media misinformation and actually found this USA Today article saying that most falsehoods about the vaccine and conspiracy theories are some of the most pervasive forms of misinformation targeting our communities. They found that Facebook does not put warning labels on 70% of Spanish language misinformation versus 29% of misinformation in English. And while Facebook has come out um, to say that they are trying to work at this and removing posts with false claims about the coronavirus and steer them to accurate, you know, information, still I feel like our community lags behind in all this misinformation being out there. WhatsApp has made it very easy for families to communicate across borders and quickly spread a meme or uh, and, you know, a, a video or a fake screenshot of an article saying something about the vaccine. I can't recall the amount of times that my mom has sent me a chain message about the vaccine. Um, mm -hmm. not that she, she got for, for preface, she got it. She's not against it, but she was just showing me, it was like, look at this crazy thing. And, and other in instances, I mean, even before, um, COVID, how many times did you guys not get family members showing you some crazy stuff off WhatsApp or Facebook? I still, even, I still get yeah. that. <laughs> so obviously it was like a perfect storm. There was already this misinformation from, you know, as we clearly saw with the 2016 election, now comes this pandemic and now we're at the end of the curve where we kind of need to vaccinate everyone and everyone needs to be on the same page and this misinformation is going to be a difficult obstacle to overcome in order to get there honestly i agree and i feel like part of it is like the personal preference is the hesitancy so some people are are nervous because they've never seen anything like this before so like you survived the pandemic this long do you want to risk getting a vaccine that you f you don't trust. Um, another issue, some people are saying, oh, I'd rather you do it, not me. Like we need to reach a certain number, a threshold of people getting vaccinated. I don't need to be part of that threshold, but if everyone around me is vaccinated, then I'm gonna be okay. I'm sorry, I'm gonna cut you off real quick right there. Um, I think that that should only be reserved exclusively to those who really truly wish to get a vaccine, but cannot because of underlying conditions, because of autoimmune diseases. Like they're the ones who are quote unquote saved from from that and that's very unfortunate for them so for any 
you know, privileged person out there. And I'm just going to put be blunt about it because that's the truth. Like there's so many people who really truly can't because their body cannot withhold. They don't have the the white blood cells, the the defense mechanism to to withhold such a vaccine. And that's it. That's that's my end of of the rent but i agree it's it's it does it's a big personal privilege to say oh i'm scared of shots i'd rather not get it i'm scared of shots like i'm terrified of needles and let me tell you guys that i was so excited for the first time in my life to have a needle be stuck in my arm (laughs) like well (laughs) i'll get into my story in a second but (laughs) another form of hesitancy is like religious like my grandmother said god will take me when it's my time and We'll dive into that a little bit wow. more yes. too. I've, yeah, that's a big one. I feel, especially with our community, you know, our community tends to be predominantly Catholic. Mm-hmm. And I think they really use that religious, I don't even know what excuse? to call it. That's not an excuse, but a religious kind of reason, a religious reason to not get the vaccine. But okay, to play devil's advocate, I feel like you could <laughs> use the religion excuse with anything like, oh, because I'm not doing this because God exactly. didn't want me to or, oh, well, I'm yes. doing this because God <laughs> wanted me to like at, at a certain point, it's like that's out of your hands. But w- with what you can control, you should make that executive decision for yourself and not because of something that is beyond your your reach. Yeah, I was re- actually recently talking to an older member of my family and they were using that religious card and i was like even like you're not scared to die and she's and they were like no i'm not scared to die i'm ready (laughs) and i was like no i'm scared to die i'm getting the vaccine (laughs) difference too i would say um i'm scared of dying that way i think you could put it that way you know like yeah actually I think we all can agree that this was not how we would want to pass. But I do want, since we are discussing it, like if you or a loved one did lose someone during the pandemic, like our hearts go out to you. We keep that in mind in a lot of our decision-making and news coverage and bless you, bless your family for moving on through this. Another point of hesitancy I do want to touch upon as of this recording, Johnson and Johnson was just pulled from distribution, their emergency use use authorization has not been nulled yet. The the FDA and CDC say that there's just a pause on it. But now we feel like because a vaccine was just pulled, more people are going to be hesitant to get it. And in some cases, some people should be. I'm definitely saying that there is a reason. But let's go ahead and dive into what happened with that. So just recently, the Johnson Johnson's vaccine has been paused throughout the U.S., after it was discovered that six recipients had exceedingly rare blood clots in their systems. And there has been one death as a result of this, and another person still remains in critical condition as the recording of this episode. And we do want to say that they are very rare. Out of more than 7 million Johnson & Johnson shots administered, six patients were developed these clots. And what's odd with this particular story is that all six cases happen to be women and they all happen to be between the ages of 18 and 48. So, you know, you would think that, you know, these women, technically speaking, should be pretty healthy. You know, they're young. Um, So there's not a lot of information yet on this as of this recording. So that's all that we know as of now. But I do want to point out, however, that 
because the age range is, I believe, 18 to 48, so under 50, I don't even think completely in the United States everyone is eligible to get the shots yet. Obviously, in their states, they were allowed to. So though we say the 7 million figure, realistically, you have to compare the numbers in that age range, and those women were just made eligible to receive the shot. So that means that they got super rare blood clots within two to three weeks. So actually, the woman who died... Three, she got her shot. A week later, she was hospitalized and she died basically almost three weeks after getting her shot. So that's why they made the executive decision to go ahead and pull the vaccine because someone got the shot, didn't show so many adverse reactions 15 minutes afterward, the way that they watch you after you get your vaccine. And then she died less than a month later. And they're not sure why, but the one commonality between all six of these women is that they got their shots around the same time. So that gives some context into what's happening. Here's my hot take of the episode because I've been so annoyed with social media lately. I get it. Birth control can cause blood clots. Danny, I'm gonna let you chime in on that in a second. (laughs) But seeing men complain like, oh, wow, they're stopping a whole vaccine distribution, like birth control. Also, you have a higher chance of getting blood clots on birth control. And I'm like, first of all, Men did not care about the risks of birth control until this moment. Until there's Pause, some... Is it just men or is it some women also? Some like women say it too, but I, I respect women saying it. It's the men that I'm like, you never cared about the health risks or anything. And I saw mostly men when the day that they pulled it out. And that could be just because of my feet or whatever. But you don't take birth control. You don't know about this life. You don't know what women sign off for when they get their birth control if they decide to do it because... High key, it's optional. It's not used to beat a global pandemic, just pregnancy. So there's other ways to not get pregnant too. But anyway, your choice, your body, your choice. It's the idea that people keep or that men keep comparing it because they don't really care until now when I feel like the summers are at risk or because they really want the pandemic to end. For those guys who do know and who have always taken care of women who have been on birth control and have had really bad side effects, Shout out to you. But for guys who didn't even know blood clots were a potential risk factor, I invite you to look at other risks of birth control. And I will list a few for right now. Blood clots, migraines, headaches, weight gain, cancer, increase of cholesterol levels. And that's just for most of them. You can also suffer depression, (laughs) suffer suicidal thoughts only for the brief period that you're on the birth control. Holy cow, I feel like I'm watching like an advertisement. You know those ads that run like for three minutes long and it's like, buy this product, but it can also be blah, 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 blah. The entire episode is like side effects. This is my favorite one. When you're on the pill, you could still get pregnant. Small chance, but the chance is still there. Even if you were to take it every day regularly. And you can get interrupted periods, spotting, which means some blood and you don't know when it's coming because your period is supposed to come at a, at a certain time every month, but the spotting can happen whenever. And you can, st- even though you may not have a regular period, you can still have PMS. That means cramps, swelling, all of that fun stuff, your boobs hurting. So these are all the risks that come with birth control. It doesn't sound like a fun time and there's different <laughs> birth controls, different risks and side effects vary by birth control measure. So I'm ending my rant here, but my point being is blood clots are the least of our worries when we're on birth control. But it's true. The FDA did approve that too. The only thing that I will say to play devil's advocate is the fact that 
for any type of medication, so not just birth control, any type of medication, they list out the possible side effects. They blatantly, explicitly state, you know, these are the possible side effects. Doesn't mean you're going to get them. It's just a possibility. You know, it's a disclaimer. At the same time, because these vaccines are so new, and again, because of the emergency authorization use, it's not that they didn't go through a lengthy process. They did. It's just the fact that they didn't have, obviously, enough time, enough years, you know, to to gather that specific data and see what would happen, what the aftermath looks like. So technically speaking, when I'm going to go get my my vaccine, this isn't listed as a possible side effect because there's no way of knowing that as of yet, whereas with birth control you're making that choice to potentially have that blood clot and other possible side effects, if that makes sense. I have nothing to say on this issue. (laughs) Thanks, Manny. You don't take birth control, Manny? No. I have nothing that gives me blood clots. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you do, and you just didn't look at the side effects. Sorry. I Probably, yeah, the Advil I took. (laughs) I I do, however, want to get into the side effects of Johnson & Johnson, which are the same as Pfizer and Moderna's vaccine. Basically, if you get the shot, you're going to have some pain at the injection site, maybe get a flu-like fever, fatigue, and a headache. So blood clots was actually not a listed side effect. So for women to get these, they're suspecting that birth control could be tied to it. And just a personal story, I'm going to shout her out. Jenny Rodriguez, I saw her post her personal story on Twitter that she went to go get the Johnson and Johnson vaccine and she was going to get it on her dominant arm where she has her birth control implant, Nexaplon. So there is a little tiny bar that they insert in your arm so you don't get pregnant and she got Johnson and Johnson. But when she when they were asking her which arm to get it in, she's like, wait, I shouldn't get it in my birth control arm, right? And the nurse was like, I'm not sure. So then the nurse went to go check it out. And she's like, just to be safe, we'll do the injection on the other arm opposite of your birth control. And I spoke with Jenny just to see how she was doing and such. And she said her only side effects was that she got a little sick, but not even a fever. And she's had her birth control for about two years. So who knows? if birth control is really tied to this, but the fact that she had an experience that the nurse couldn't even tell her if it might impact the birth control. And this is someone I know and saw her story and such. It just goes to show like these blood clots can come from anything. So if you're mad that they pulled the vaccine, I think, yeah, there's a lot of unknown surrounding it. So they're just trying to be extra safe because it's not fair to put other lives at risk. So for the record, can we all state that we've all gotten vaccinated one way or another? Have we? We oui, we. Oui. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think it matters at this point, like like the specific brand, but I'm wondering like what your guys' reactions were, like what your body how your body reacted to the vaccines. I, for example, got a rash literally eight days later. I was totally fine. I thank God didn't faint because I'm one known to faint when I see needles. I definitely looked the other way. I closed my eyes, took a deep breath. Um, everything was fine. But eight days later I started like itching and I noticed it was like this lump. It's called COVID arm. I did some research. It's like very <laughs> pretty common not very but pretty common and and it's just like a red blob around where you got your shot and it lasted for like three days and now i'm totally fine i was not an alien (laughs) i was gonna follow up like is it gone (laughs) (laughs) is it permanently on your arm show us (laughs) it's not 
Um, I I also got mine maybe. Well, I I finally got my second dose a week ago, so I'm almost close to the full immunity um, that's projected you're supposed to have after two weeks of getting your second dose. So I'm the most vaccinated of all of us. Yay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and wow, way to I, brag. Okay. Right? I was, it's actually called, if you, I don't know if I should mention this, but in Urban Dictionary, they have a new word. It's called vaxhole. No. And it's like when you're an a-hole, but you because you're vaccinated <laughs> no. people aren't. No. And it's really funny because the first day I got vaccinated, I was being such a vaxhole to my no. roommate. That's not a like, thing. Don't sorry, make it you didn't get vaccinated. But then I was like, sorry, you haven't even had the opportunity. So I felt super bad. And I was like, but yeah, I, I was a total vaxhole. But anyway, I No, I, don't use it's not I, a thing. <laughs> I had a very I had a very smooth you know, experience getting the vaccine. I actually didn't even get any, you know, you're supposed to get like the worst effects on the second shot, but I, I didn't. Neither oh. did my girlfriend, neither did my roommate. They've all had their second shot and nobody was like super sick. It, mm. it, it was almost, it was honestly, I felt like more mentally prepared. Like I was like exercising my arm a little bit more so I wouldn't get so numb because bef- like the first one, I just like, had my mm-hmm. arm in like the same position, you know, like you're kind of yeah. scared. So the second time I got it, I'm like, okay, I can just be normal about it. And it it kind of worked out. And did you take any Advil by any chance? Because I know I some didn't... people like when they start feeling no. some sort of headache, they actually but recommend I... that like after a, a few hours have passed, no. like if you start feeling hmm, interesting, I didn't take any pain meds. I was Gucci. Well, I had a very different experience. Um, so I'm just going to go into it for a little bit as well. I'm gonna come out right. I'm gonna come right out and say it. I was hesitant. I don't exactly have an autoimmune disorder, but my doctors suspect that I could have one, or it'll be fully fledged developed probably in my 40s. So basically, I either have a lot of white blood cells some months, or super low white br- blood cells, a super low white blood cell count that it's irregular. So I get a lot of blood tests. I'm not a fan of needles, um, so I'm not gonna lie. I do skip out on some of my blood work but I have to keep a close eye on what my immune system looks like. So the coronavirus pandemic has been like kind of weird for me because I don't wanna get sick, but at the same time, I love living life. So this vaccine comes out and my doctors are kind of like, you should wait a little bit. Like, we don't think you should get it. Like your immune system might not be up to actually receiving the vaccine. So I was one of the people that, man, I hope everyone else around me gets it because then I'll feel safer and I can't get it. And I'm a young person, I'm 26. so. I'm actually at the prime age to be doing this or to even survive COVID. So some time passes, Pfizer and Moderna got their approval a week apart. Pfizer, I think was the end of December. And my doctor tells me, okay, um, we can start considering it, but wait until a few more million people get it. Because I also have intense allergic reactions that I, I touch milk and I get a rash. So he says, because between your allergies and your immune system, you probably shouldn't do it. My mom, who is a respiratory therapist, was very heartbroken at that concept that I'm at risk for the virus, but also at risk for not being able to uh, withhold the vaccine. So Johnson & Johnson comes out, a few more million people get the vaccine, at least here in Florida. And my doctor says, get any vaccine except Johnson & Johnson. He's like, I don't really trust that one. The technology's different. It seems to be older technology. It's only one shot and the efficacy is slightly different. So I would recommend Pfizer. And 
the same day that I'm like, oh, I don't know, like he hasn't really sold me. He's gone back and forth. I don't know how to feel about this. I'm very blessed that my job did a town hall with an emergency room doctor to dive into our questions about the vaccine. So to be honest, a lot of information hasn't been for some 20 year olds or whatnot. So it was nice to ask him, like, I have these allergic reactions. I have this, et cetera. And the doctors answered my question the same day I get an email from the university that I'm doing some classwork for saying that they're vaccinating their students. So I'm like, oh, it's a sign. <laughs> so I'm like, whoa, saw a few more videos, booked my appointment, went to go get my Pfizer shot, drove a little too far for it. And my arm hurt all day. I felt fatigued. I had a headache. I was like, oh my oh, gosh. Gabby. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Thankfully, I had a friend with me when I went to go get my shot, someone I was hanging out with, which Brenda, shout out to you, Brenda Bogle. You have to go ahead and uh, hydrate and rotate when you get your shot. Drink lots of water and keep rotating your arms. So that's yep. the key if you decide to do it. <laughs> hydrate and rotate, everyone. But what really got me through or like made me make the decision was that the doctor said something like, if, if you love a healthcare worker or a frontline worker and you saw what they went through this year, why wouldn't you guarantee not to be in their hospital bed? And I'm like, damn, I love my mama. <laughs> I do not Aww. want to be one of her patients. She's been through so much. Like all I got to do is like one thing for her to have a little more peace of mind. So that's what truly convinced me to get the shot. The idea that healthcare workers have been battling this for over a year right now. So if we can help bring down those hospitalizations, like why not? But I think your hesitancy makes perfect sense though, because you're talking about not questioning the science behind it. You're talking about, can my body withstand even the vaccine like you know you're already scared of getting COVID itself but the vaccine and just to clarify a little bit um when you spoke of the J&J vaccine having older technology I know for a fact a lot of doctors um if not all doctors are pretty much telling people that if you have severe allergies and if you have autoimmune diseases to not get the J&J &J vaccine simply because it is older technology. And what that means is that it's based on the virus's genetic instructions for building the spike protein. Um, this information, it has come directly from the New York Times. They break it down and it's fascinating. Um, but they basically state that Unlike Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which store the instructions in a single-stranded RNA, the Johnson Johnson vaccine uses double-stranded DNA. So it means that the DNA is inside an adenovirus. So essentially, they're like spike uh, proteins from the actual virus. So it's more of like a direct um, like intrusion into your body, whereas the mRNA, it takes some time. So it's not as uh, like, like it's, it's like a weaker yeah, it's not like yeah. as impactful. I, I had to look into it. But I do also want to clarify, like, even after my doctor approved me, I was still hesitant because I was kind of like, they made this really quickly. He doesn't really sound convincing. Like if doctors, like some doctors are super confident, others are just trying to be like straight with me. But I don't know, like, do I really need to get it? Like if other people are going to get it, like maybe I just shouldn't put myself at risk. Like we're going to get on the other end of this soon. But I also really wanted to be part of like, 500 years from now and being like yes Gabriela Nunez her medical record she did get the Pfizer vaccine like, <laughs> I want to be in the history books we're unearthing Gabriela Nunez tomb here it's a it's a Pfizer card <laughs> <laughs> a Pfizer well I will say that I before I got my vaccine I anally 
looked up the research on all on the mechanism. Yeah. Because I, I was pre-health in, in college. So mm. like them explaining every, like the mechanism made total sense. And I was like, wow, this is very cool how they're doing this. This had never been done before in a vaccine. But people need to remember, while it was made very fast, quote unquote, the te- that technology, that mRNA technology had been perfected for decades, yeah, decades. For it, other, for for, other. Yeah, it took so long to even be able for that to survive inside your body, for that to transport it to where it needed to be transported, for it to carry it and make what it needed to make. It went through a lot. So it's not like, yes, the technology is new for a vaccine that's never been used in a vaccine, but it's it wasn't made this year. It's been going through this for decades. No, I didn't know that. So that was very helpful to hear. Um, now that we've kind of discussed like our own personal experience with the vaccine, we just wanted to be ethical and say we've all gotten it. Not that you have to specifically, but however, we do want to make sure you're not falling trapped to some of these myths. Danny mentioned 5G a little bit earlier. We already went over that. But this idea that the vaccine could alter your DNA or make you infertile, I don't know. Someone else needs to touch upon this or else I'm going to get heated. I've never heard the infertile one. But again, you want to talk about infertility. There's so many other ways that you could be infertile, whether that's genetics or like other medication that you take that could be a possible side effect. I mean, and you won't know until like years from now. So to worry about that now, I don't know, to each their own. But but if we're going to start nitpicking every little thing, then I would like us to nitpick what we eat on a daily basis you know all the junk food that we eat when you go into mcdonald's like you know mcdonald's makes you infertile (laughs) mountain dew i've heard mountain dew makes you infertile you've never heard that no yes yeah okay we're not here to throw out more conspiracy theories those are lies if we're gonna start nitpicking everything let's literally nitpick everything from the shampoo that we use to Mm-hmm. Hair dyes to everything, every little thing that we put on our body, whether it's topical or injections, yeah. it's gonna impact you both positively and negatively in the long run. You just you can't live life in fear in that sense. So even though you know these weird conspiracies out there that vaccine's gonna make you infertile or um, it's going to give you the actual disease, I think at the end of the day we need to trust science, and that's what I keep telling any family member that I come across. It's like do you want to believe science? Because science is what's given us everything around us from air conditioning to the car, to your TV. I'll usually be like, when you go put in your keys to your car, do you expect it to blow up or is the car going to start? No, it's going to start. You don't understand the thermodynamics and chemical chemistry that goes to make your car start, but you trust it, you know? And I feel like these trials were done the the experiments all the phases that danny spoke about and you could literally go and look at the look at the the stats how many people was done on how long did the trial go who did they test it on and you should be able to trust that science because that science has given us everything we as modern civilization enjoy and i think that people will always argue that there's always an agenda behind everything and while that is true at the end of the day i think in the large scheme of things, the only agenda the world really wants is herd immunity. And we just want to live life, right? We want this episode, this thing to go away and to pass and to keep it in the past and not have all of these variants keep popping up because 
that's what's happening. And if there's no herd immunity, then this vac- all of these vaccines could very well be pretty useless if the other variants get strong enough um, to beat us in that sense. And really quick on Danny's hidden agenda point, just recently when the Johnson & Johnson vaccine distribution was paused, former President Donald Trump said that the pause had been recommended by U.S. health agencies for political reasons or the, quote, FDA's love for Pfizer, which is baseless. And the the vaccine was paused because of these concerning health effects. Why would Johnson & Johnson want such bad press? Because at the end of the day, that obviously impacts their name and their brand, even though they're just six isolated cases. Like, I don't think any brand by any means and such a large and trusted corporation like Johnson Johnson would take that chance. So that doesn't make any sense to me, but okay. And also just to debunk that myth as well, out of for Operation Warp Speed, Pfizer was one of the only companies not federally funded. The federal government put money into Moderna and, and I believe seven or eight other options. Some have fallen through. But Pfizer was one of the only ones that actually like all their production, everything, the U.S. government is paying them for the vaccines, but they didn't pay them to do the research. So to to hear that the FDA has a love for Pfizer just kind of sounds, I don't know, off. You would think that if we put money in Moderna, that would be the preference as well. But again, these are this is all stuff that you can look up. Don't just listen to to claims right off the bat and don't just listen to us like you most definitely should do your own research. I do want to debunk one random myth that I'm not quite sure how it got around, but Bill Gates, a known philanthropist, the founder of Microsoft, everyone keeps making these microchip jokes and believe it or not, some people believe it. In a general sense, all I know is that at one point, Bill Gates gave like a speech and in his speech, he talked about how there's going to be an inevitable uh, pandemic of some sort that there's going to be some sort of virus or bacteria or something like that along those lines and people found the video from years ago and were like oh my god this guy is a freaking psychic like he saw it coming like he was the one who who did all of this like he started it or he saw it coming and there's an agenda behind that and you you can see how this like spirals downward yeah so I went through the reddit threads I did my own research and essentially what it is is that Um, people say he wants to put microchips in you so Microsoft can track you. Um, And also it's going to be his way to block the sun. I'm not quite sure how that's going to (laughs) work, but I couldn't find the details on that. But the same group that started this theory that he is microchipping people to control them or to track them via Microsoft are also blaming him for the massive power outage that happened not too long ago in Texas during that freak winter storm and for the record gates doesn't even live in texas he lives in washington state the man is powerful he has a lot of money but he's also a huge philanthropist he has a lot of scholarships him and his wife um melinda also like put money toward great initiatives so they have helped the who they are like pretty prominent in unicef and such and they helped fund vaccine efforts and not not we're not here to toot Bill Gates's horn, but I'm just saying if you know anyone who really believes in that conspiracy theory, like I don't really think they got the time for it or the money. They don't care that much. But the information about conspiracy theories, I got it from the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, because those researchers specifically look into conspiracy theories and how they start. I think at the end of the day, people should be asking questions. Asking questions is the base of all science. You should be able to 
you know, be hesitant like Gabby was on the vaccine. She was like, okay, what is it? What, you know, I need to look more into it. And I felt the same way where I was like, let me look more into this. Like how, because I, I was following, I was like, how many people have they tested it on? Yeah, oh, that's a lot of people. Were. What are, yeah. what were the results, you know? So at no point did I feel like I wasn't being told the truth because it was, it was there. And if you have questions on how the vaccine works or why was it made so fast, which is, you know, a question that people ask a lot, look for it, use your resources and obviously go to credible resources. What your mom's WhatsApp, your family group chat, WhatsApp messages is not a credible source. And I understand that a lot of people don't necessarily know where to start when it comes to researching. They don't understand what links are real and, you know, what's a real news article versus an editorial one or what's like a blog, all that stuff. You can always call any doctor, any physician. They will redirect you to the people that do know, the people that have worked on these specific vaccines, like since we're talking about this specific vaccine. But this honestly is the case for any medication out there that you're questioning or you have doubts for all of the information you can literally call the 1-800 number and they will there will be someone on the other line explaining everything that you want to know so ultimately what we're trying to tell you is here are the facts here's the information you need to know about and here's where you can potentially get more but the best thing to do too if you are super hesitant is consult your doctor And if you decide to get the shot or you decide not to, it's a totally personal choice as long as you're making the choice off of an informed foundation. So to wrap this all up, congrats if you get it. We understand it can be a scary process. Shout out to you if you did the research and decided not to. But don't be afraid to lean over and be like, Oye, let's talk about whether you're getting vaccinated or not and tell me why. And don't be a vaxhole or whatever Manny said. (laughs) Don't be a (laughs) vaxhole. 